Hello and welcome back to the Splinter Studios podcast. My name is Adam Stevens, and I'm going to be the, your host guiding you through the next hour of light musical entertainment. A few little housekeeping bits just before we get into it. Um, first of all, apologies that it took so long to get another one out. Since we've come back from all of the lockdown stuff, it's getting the studio back in order and things have got busy again. Gigs have started to come back up. Um, and this room's been busy. We've been hiring it out. Um, there's now some examples out online of other people using it. Um, one's just dropped this week um, by RTH Media, which is uh, they're doing like a Resident Evil podcast, which I've just got no clue about. But if that's your thing, you can find that. We'll share that on the studio's page. Um, yes, we've got some more ideas for guests. We've got some people booked in. Um, but yeah, that's all, all to come. And it's all going to be non-musical as well. It's not just going to be music-based. So while the studio's been back open, we've been working to get some events out there. And we've got some dates for your diaries if you want to jot these down. Um, so coming up, so just next week, depending on when you're listening to this, 7th of August, we've got the very first, well, not the very first, but we've got the return of the Splinter Studios open mic night. These have always been really popular in the past and... Um, maybe I'm biased. I think they're a very different vibe to other open mics I've been to. I think if you've never done an open mic before, Splinter Studios or otherwise, they're they're a good experience. But I think they they can tend to to get a little bit tired very quickly. Um, they've always just been long free form jams in my experience, and it doesn't always create the best entertainment for the viewer. It's great for the musician, but it's not for the for the audience. And I think ours is completely different. It's very much uh, a very good variety show. Um, but we're doing this one a little bit different to our previous ones because our students have been working so hard over lockdown and then since the return. We're doing the first two hours of the show is going to be just our students performing. So we've put them into bands and then there's a few that we're we're going to join on stage with. So doors open at half four. And then five till seven will be students performing. And then seven onwards is open to bands and any other artists, any other acts that would like to perform, whatever it is. Simple rules, really. Just three songs per turn. No freeform jams, like I said. There's plenty of other opportunities. We're not discriminating against the people that want to come and play jazz for half an hour. But there's a place for you to go and do that. And this is centred around giving people opportunities to perform and try out new material and practice in front of a crowd and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's going to be in our moon room on the 7th of August. Following that is the big one on 4th of September. It's Judge Stock. That's going to be a day of jam-packed with live bands, acoustic acts. There's originals music, there's covers, there's tribute bands. Uh, if you'd like to know more about that, listen to my previous podcast with Lee Judge. He goes into great detail explaining how all of that's happening. Um, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a long day. Um, actually if you're interested mine and josh's band thunder chunky and now we're going to be headlining we're going to be last on on the main stage so that should be fun we'll be tired we've been working from the early early hours of the morning so come down and check that out it's all for charity so that's good and then introducing a brand new event that we've got coming on the 12th of september i think it's quite coolly named it's the rock and roll bric-a-brac so you've probably no idea what that is so effectively think of it so it's a bit like a jumble sale a car boot sale. Um, I don't know if there's a cooler way of explaining than that. There is the rock and roll bric-a-brac, which is easy for me to say. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so basically what you can do, uh, you can hire a table off us, just £5. You can sell anything you want, and we're just going to invite as many musicians down or whoever else to come and potentially look to buy some equipment, anything musical-based. So it could be lighting, guitars, drums, sticks, little accessories, even if you've got a load of vinyl that you might want to shift, that's the place for you. We're going to have plenty to go on there. Um, we're just going to trial this new system. We thought it would be quite cool. That's going to be upstairs in the big hall at the old, old post office on the 12th of September. Doors open at 9 o'clock. And that'll be fun. I'm sure we'll get some music on, get some teas and coffees on the go. Should be good. And then finally, we've got two dates with black country comedian Johnny Cole. Now, if you've not seen Johnny Cole before, he's... He's very entertaining, very funny. We've played with him quite a few times. We've booked him ourselves for our Black Country Celebration Day. Um, he's hilarious. There's loads of stuff online. If you search him, so it's Johnny without a H, so it's J-O-N-N-Y, Cole, C-O-L-E. 
check him out if you like your musical comedy. So it's all very black country based, which I'm sure is relevant to many of you. Um, but yeah, he's brilliant. So he's doing two nights here on the 1st and the 8th of October. Okay, so let's get into the podcast. Today's guest is Josh Pritchett, who's the co-owner here at Splinter Studios. I'm sure you all know him. Um, we thought, although it's a little bit of an unexotic guest, no offence men, Josh, I apologise, um, but we thought it was an important one to be able to hear about how Josh teaches. I think it's the perfect thing for your students or even people that come down the studio to hear a bit of how we approach things from the studio. You can hear our point of view. I think it's important when you shop around anyway, if you're doing any kind of service, whether that's guitar, drum lessons, keyboard lessons, driving, whatever you, whatever service you want, you check out the reviews nowadays, don't you? And I think this gives Josh an opportunity to explain his thought process and it lets you... So if you're sending your son or daughter for lessons with Josh, you can hear a little bit more about him and, and know where he's coming from with his thoughts and opinions and what your child will be getting. So me and Josh have been friends for a very long time. We went to high school together. Um, although we, we we didn't really know each other, we were in different populations within the school. Um, we got closer friends as we left school. We we were in our very first band, Family to Function, which we spoke about in the podcast. And then that led to Liberty Lies, which we're still in today, 12 years later. So obviously I've known him for a long time. Um, me and Josh have got like a strange relationship, obviously, because we work so close together. I see him here almost every day. We have two lots of band practices. We have all gigs all around the country. So it might seem a bit weird that we're asking the questions, but we don't talk like this on a day-to-day basis. You don't go back and ask these things, obviously, because I've known him for so long. There's certain bits I do know. But Josh is a fantastic guitarist. I'm glad he's not here. That's why I had to do the intro without him here. He's a fantastic guitarist. I'd trust anybody with him. I think he's a, a really great teacher as well, which is probably more important. Um, I know everything he does, every decision he makes with regards to teaching is for the best of the students. I know he, he really enjoys it every day. He likes to come up with interesting ideas. He runs and pass me. He's always looking to evolve as well. And I also think it, it's important, as we mentioned in the podcast, he's not doing it for business decisions, certain things. So we talk about the grade system and what he feels about that. Um I think it, he's learned and developed a, a very unique style of lesson and it, it's it's showing in his students. Some of them are, are fantastic now and they're all going on to bigger and better things all the time. So check this out. I hope it's interesting for you. I think it was interesting. Give it a listen. If you enjoy what we do, remember to like and subscribe depending on where you're watching. So it's on YouTube or listening, uh, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all the usual places. We hope you enjoy it. This is Josh Pritchett on the Splinter Studios podcast. nervous a little bit i'm wondering what these questions are <laughs> well i should probably just say for clarity that we haven't despite the fact i see you probably every day we don't talk at length about any like i've never said i've never asked you these questions because i've just oh. known you that long so it'd be weird if i just went so what's the reason behind this <laughs> so, <laughs> so i haven't really gone into great depth with any of these so this will be interesting so i thought it would be good for all potential students or parents of students or anyone that's interested in the studio just to know a little bit more about you so this podcast is just going to be just about you wow it's frightening scary isn't that? <laughs> so no pressure but we'll say there's some interesting questions and they're not all musical okay so i've got a philo- philosophical question for you at Ooh. the end okay so then let's start so before there was music in the life of josh Pritchett, what was that sport so yeah i'm i'm a very competitive person as you can probably remember our uh, games of fifa yep. and stuff <laughs> so for me um yeah football boxing anything competitive i was like kind of drawn to not necessarily any good but i hated losing so much that it was just kind of like i'd i'd play anything just to win so you played sunday league played football. sunday league yeah football. Um, played Saturday League for a little bit as well. We both like played for the same team as well, didn't we? But at different times. Well, your dad was the coach just before I got there, I think. Yeah. Of, this, of P- Park Hill Boys. Yeah, started at Park Hill Boys, and then I 
we went and joined Hilltop Rangers, whereas you went to Park Hill Boys. I then. stayed at Park Hill Boys for forever. Was that your first career. team? My first proper team. Yeah. When I was younger, I played. You know, when it's like under eights and stuff. Yeah. I think, oh, was it Silverdale? I played for someone around the local area. Position. Well, I started as a midfielder, and then it was goalkeeper. So, goalkeeper in in musical terms is the opposite of a guitarist, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Like if you're thinking about on the stage, see, so the goalkeeper's more like a goalkeeper or a centre back's more like a drummer, I think. Yeah. Whereas, I think you're more of a, a right winger in musical terms. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, it's it's hard to kind of quantify in it because the goalkeeper position, if your team's doing well. No one notices you. Yeah. As soon as you're losing, it's all on the goalkeeper. So yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. Um, but what seemed to happen was, I was in goal and I was playing some really like I was half decent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stayed the same height. And when you get to uh, under 11s, the <laughs> the, go- the goalposts get bigger. And um, <laughs> I just seemed to not. Everyone was hoping that I'd grow, but I just never did. So. A transition from a goalkeeper to a midfielder then. I think the only time we would have ever played football together, we both played for the school team at the same time. Yeah. But I've got zero memory of you being there. I don't know if you feel the same, but I I no. just don't remember. Well, we, we played, well, we got to the Albion, didn't we? we yeah, got to the, the cup final. final. Yeah. Um, and I think we both left, even though we weren't discouraged. Like, I'd let in a penalty and I was mortified because I had nothing else to do all game. Yeah. So, um, and I just didn't play. Yeah. So we both left, and I, th- I remember crying on the way home. So. Yeah, I did the same. I was gutted. <laughs> I, I warmed up and made sure I scored. And even though we won, won as well. Uh, I just felt hol- like I remember giving the trophies and being like, I don't want these. Yeah. I didn't win these. <laughs> I, I played in every game leading up to the final, just not not the final. But anyway, uh, so we've established that you you liked your sport. So what got you into music? What got you into playing guitar? What started you off? Um. To be honest, it was. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, my dad runs a pub, so every weekend we'd be there watching the acts. Um, and to be honest, most of the time I didn't really care. I was. I'd, I'd be waiting for match of the day to come on. I'd be playing outside with the other kids. Um, but I remember we had a guitar teacher coming to school, John Pye. Yep. And to be honest, the the main reason for me to get into it was another friend of mine, Carl. Um, we found out we could miss French if we <laughs> if we did the music lesson. So I was like, sign me up to that. And um, yeah, I remember just, uh, I, I went there just pretty much as like, oh, I'll, I'll get to go to French, I'll get to sit here. And he, he played some stuff. And I mean, I think I remember him playing, um, I'd never heard of the Beatles or anything. And he played One More Guitar Gently Weeps. And he's just him on an acoustic guitar singing. And I was just like, oh my God, that's just... The most insane thing Did ever. Did you know the song already? No, I had no idea. Um, I had no... I think the closest thing to... I said closest thing to music, but you know them now? That's what I call... Yeah. <laughs> I had one of them with um, Eminem. And it I think... It now 78 or something, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah. Back in the day. Old. And um, Nickelback was on it as well. Hey, you remind me. Hey, you remind me. And I think Hero, you know the one he did Oh, uh, the Spider-Man. Spot? Yeah. Yeah. So, I love that, but um, yeah, John Pye... I remember once he played, he bent the bent a note on the guitar and it blew my mind. I was like, "Are you allowed to do that? <laughs> like, what's and that that started all for me." So you, are you, it was John that really started. Well, it was the idea of missing French first, yeah, and then developed into a fascination with. There's more it, things than what I just think can yeah, be done. It, you know what? It was like it, it come at the perfect time. There was kind of like a sequence of events happened. So like. I was getting to the point where I was starting to go, I'm not going to be a professional footballer, am I? Do you know what I mean? When you, the, and that's a, a sad thing for any kid. Disappointing age, isn't it, though? When I, I look about and I'm like, no, stay. So what age are you here? Probably about 12, 13. Yeah. Is that the right age? About year um, eight? I didn't start until I was 14, So, but yeah, oh, okay. year eight would have been, yeah, so you 12, uh, 13, 14, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose, say, say 13. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it kind of clicked in my head that I wasn't going to be a professional footballer. And not and at this time as well, a lot of my friends who I'd grown up with were getting into kind of going out smoking, drinking, drugs. And then for me, it was like, 
I feel like a kid compared to them. Drugs at 13. <laughs> yeah, Anybody that doesn't live in Wensbury <laughs> listening to this podcast, like, what? Yeah, man. <laughs> I re- at the top of the church, we used to hang about there, and I remember just sitting there going, man, I, I'm a kid, man. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. So the the thing with the music, it kind of it come at the right time because the football thing had died, and I was kind of, I was getting bored of it as well. Yeah. Um, I started to get as well, which never bothered me before. I was like... Sunday, it's freezing. It's like October, you know what I mean? And it's just like, I'm going to stand there and the team's going to win, but I'm just going to stand there doing nothing in goal. So, yeah, I kind of, I suppose I got a bit more selfish then. I was like, I wanted to do something for me. Yeah. And at the same time, with my friends, I didn't really want to hang about with them. So the guitar was the perfect thing to sit at home and kind of learn. So you were having lessons with John at school, but the lessons at school were always like 20 minutes, weren't they? And there was three or four. Yeah, so it was limited. Did you ever have private lessons? Yes, so I had um, a guy called AJ Mills, who's in KK's Priest now. Yeah, he's in Hostile hostile as well, I don't know if they're still going. Yeah man, he was amazing. So um, he lived around the corner from me, and he's a little bit older, but not too much. So he was was one of them guys where he comes to my house and he's got long hair. First, like, I don't know anyone at this stage who's got long hair. He comes in the, like, long blonde hair, and he's going, yo dude. Like, this guy's the coolest <laughs> guy in the world, man. So he comes, and I remember he'd drawn out a sheet in pencil of, like, this is where your fingers go and all that. And looking back, I think that's such a cool thing to have done. Yeah, yeah. So he gave me lessons, and John had kind of sparked the fire of, like, what kind of, like, to get into music, but not really a particular band or anything. Yeah. And AJ he really pushed the metal thing because he's a, a metal guy. So for a few months, I had metal guitar lessons, really. So he looked at, like, Maiden, and he was just exposing me to all these new bands who I'd never heard of. And I was listening to, like, stuff that I thought was just, like, the heaviest thing on the planet, Alice Cooper, all this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, he was a massive spark for my kind of enjoyment for music. And not only that, what he did was he started... Uh, allowing me to be his guitar tech. So they'd hostile the band he was in. Um, I was guitar tech when they played JB's. Yeah. I got to meet one of my favourite bands of all time, Rattlesnake Remedy, because they play... AJ won't remember this, but they played under them at yeah. JB's. Um, you went mad for them for years as well, didn't oh. you? Know, there was like, you know, and to be fair, there was probably no bigger than... Uh, I, don't, I don't even know if they gig much outside the Midlands, did they? I don't think so. Well, I know they did a European tour with, I think, Magnum. To be fair, I think... To be fair, I think we... I've got more Spotify streams than them. Not that it means a lot, but... <laughs> Not now they've been split up for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I love that band. So, AJ really kind of took me under his wing and really helped me out with that. And then I had subsequent teachers from there. I had a, He introduced me to a guy, because I really love my blues music, called uh, Trevor Ridney. Mm-hmm. And he's just a fabulous guitar player. And um, he really helped me. Um it's it's weird the links between us before we even knew each other because obviously I know Trevor Ridney separately because he was the guitarist in my dad's band. It's mad, isn't it? So at fourteen, I was watching him play every week. I'd go to my dad's practices and just sit in the corner and watch him play and thinking, man, he's incredible. I've never thought about that actually. That's and it's it is weird that we both knew him. We both knew obviously I had lessons with John Pye as well, but we never had them together. No. We both played for the same football team. So that's weird. Before at the age it's of fourteen, weird. there's already a few links there that we I have never even thought about it. That's mad. So yeah, you had Trev. Yeah, so I had uh, lessons with Trev. Um, I can't remember how long for, but um, he with the met with the the metal and stuff. It took me a while to get into that. So as much as AJ tried, I just couldn't connect to it. But the blues stuff, I feel like most people start with like soft bands and get to like the, the heavier stuff yeah. and I think that for me that the heavy stuff straight away even like Maiden I was a bit like it's just it'd be too much bring your daughter to the slaughter's a little bit near the knuckle isn't it? When you know, you know it's, it's just I think we get it down here when you get the, a lot of kids in and there's a heavy banding it's just like a cacophony of noise yeah. and they come and they're like and it's it's like that thing with my, my dad's ears as soon as he someone starts screaming he's like oh, Turn that off. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Put Marvin Gaye on. And I think <laughs> it's that thing that I had to kind of go from the blues and then work my way up. The Bon Jovi's, 
that's really uncool, but you know what I mean? The Bon Jovis and all that. So you went from reverse down the cool spectrum, didn't you? You yeah. went from you found the cool bands first and then went, Yeah, I'm gonna go Nickelback <laughs> yeah, and Bon Jovi. Yeah. And then I'm, you went you went mad for Richie Sambora, didn't you? Just in himself. I had um one of my friends, Harry, for my birthday, brought me a pillowcase that says I'm sleeping with and a picture of Richie Sambora. <laughs> I've still got to this day. So, yeah, I, I love that man. So how did the lessons then transition to you starting or being in your first band? Well, again, I probably for you, you you're a little different because your dad was a drummer. Well, still is a drummer. Um, <clears throat> but for me, playing guitar was an obsession, but it was an obsession without a goal. Mm-hmm. So um, playing with people like Trev, I just just enjoyed being there and learning so like he'd play something and I'd just for me it was always like watching someone like Eric Clapton improvise a solo was like that's magic that is just like that's impossible that someone can just do that and then as you start learning it's kind of like oh actually I understand what he's doing here and then I can watch a solo now and and go I understand what he's doing there I, I understand he's gone from this to this to this and it and it was kind of, it, it, it is a bit like magic for me, learning how a trick's done and then going, oh, okay, but you can use that same trick over here and get a different kind of yeah, outcome. Yeah. And I think for me that was that was the enjoyment of it. I'd never had any idea of being a rock star until I started looking at Guns N' Roses and bands like that. And The Hex, which was <laughs> your first band. Yep. So that was a big thing for me as well because... For, with AJ, he was always. <laughs> this is going to sound bad, but it's not meant to. But this guy was like the coolest guy, and you think, well, he's obviously in a band. Look at him; he's cool as anything. Whereas you, Sean, Jack, um, who was Chris, Chris, and Matt, Rosebud, Rosebud, later, yeah, um, playing at like local clubs. But you, not that you wasn't cool, but you was the same age. It was like achievable. So yeah, so I was looking around like, man, I could, I could probably do this. You yeah. Know? yeah. I think that was the big change for me where I kind of flipped it in my head like this might be possible to make something out of this. So who was your first band? I knew you'd ask this. No, well, you ate uh, like gigging band. Not not your very first because I know <laughs> I will embarrass you with your <laughs> no, first no. band. Well, the, the first <laughs> band we got together was the Honey Boys yes. which was me, Carl and Luke one of my friends at school. Um, we never did anything other than we did a rock school at the Conagree which was great. We got to play. With, that's with John Pye. No, that was with a separate company. That oh, was okay. who I think they just hire out the kind of grey. But um that was really good experience. But um my first band was a band that you was in. Failure to function. Oh yeah. That was my first proper band where we actually did some gigs and we did some record we actually recorded in this room, which yeah. is just mad. It's weird. Um so yeah. We did we did quite a few gigs actually, didn't we? Well with Failure to Function, me and you were effectively sessions, weren't we? Yeah. Despite not probably being good enough to be. So I was really good friends with the singer and guitarist, Burko. He needed a drummer, and he always pulled good numbers. So he'd always fill a pub. So if he supported our band, I'll play drums for you, and you bring a couple hundred people, yeah? And then when they needed a guitarist, I knew you'd started getting into your, your blues stuff. So I was a hard rock slash metal drummer. You were a, a blues guitarist playing playing like indie punk stuff. It is quite funny, actually, if you listen to the recordings back, it is just like this indie band doing very much like, um, I forgot what they're called now, uh, Don't Look Back Into The Sun. Oh, the Libertines. One. Libertines. It was kind of like that ethos, but then it was like a blue solo in the middle of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was a bit strange. But but it was, it, the good thing about Fally's Function, it was really fun. And we had a laugh, we didn't practice very hard, but we'd turn up, we'd just play all the all the pubs in Wensbury. And at this age, we were still, we were 14, 15, but we were playing with, because Burko was a, a year older than us, and his friends were older than him. So it was like we were 18 while 15. Yeah, man. And I, d- I think none of us had, like, views of it. Well, me and you didn't have views of it, like, being being in this band forever or anything like yeah. that. It was just enjoying it at the time, and that was it was really fun. It probably was only about six months overall wow. being in that band. We'd done the recordings down here and and never did anything with them. It was back in the MySpace days. Yeah, yeah. And obviously disappeared. And we're showing our age all the way through this uh, podcast. Wow. So you did a couple a couple other bands after that. You did Into Elysium. Yes, I did Into Elysium. Gosh, I'm forgetting all this. Um, so that was AJ's brother. 
James, um, Anthony Wolf, mm-hmm. um, and Ash Liverland. So very good drummer. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Um, and we did um, a lot. It was getting to heavier music, basically, because um, I, I remember we did a practice here, actually, in the middle room. Before it was Splinter. Before it was Splinter, yeah. And I walked all the way from my house with my two guitars on my back, my Pod XT, which is this pedal board. And I walked all the way from home, which is like a mile and a half away, up to here. And we played Smoke on the Water. What was it now? It was the strangest combination, but at the end we did Pantera. And I remember there was a guy in there, which was AJ's mate, and he went, why am you playing Smoke on the Water when you can all play that? And everyone was like into this heavy music, apart from me, really. I still like the Deep Purple and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I kind of I kind of knew I wasn't going to be in that band forever just because I couldn't... I couldn't I, and I felt bad almost because the everyone was into like the Maidens and stuff and I was really... In, I'd go home and I'd put on like BB King or something. So I was like, no, this is just this isn't going to work. And obviously, you know, at the time, the Hex were having a few problems. Yeah. And I was still in contact with you guys and then kind of transitioned that I was going to move over to play with you guys. Well, we come to watch you a few times, like JB's, cause, uh, because uh, your connections with Hostile, you always seem to get really good support slots. You'd always be playing JB's. So me and Sean from Liberty Lies, we'd come and watch you and then you'd come and watch us play with the Hex in the local pubs. And yet we we always seem to get on better than the people we were in the bands with and I think it made sense for us to start something new. So as, but well, our band declined and then I think you stepped away from, from yours. Uh, we started Liberty Lies. Yeah, man. Well, it, that was, a, again, that was a bit of a rocky road as Liberty Lies has always been. Yeah. Um. So... I, f- I remember phoning James and telling him that I was leaving and I was going to do something with you guys because it, it was more my kind of music. Um, and they were all good. They started a band after that with some of the members from The Hex. Because I joined, originally it was The Hex still, wasn't it? Yeah. And we had a band practice and everyone, um, including the other members, were like, yeah, yeah, we want you in, all good. And then Sean in his, just Sean ways, yeah. put a big picture of me up on MySpace say and apologising to the other guy rather than ringing the guy or anything publicly just putting a picture up of me what probably wasn't the best move and um, yeah kind of the shit at the fan didn't it really yeah it wasn't great so and then Liberty Lives were born so. yeah and there was a there was a change in mindset wasn't there straight away so it went from being obviously we Liberty Lives had to start off being the small pub band because that was all we knew but that was never, there was a goal with Liberty Lies. There was somewhere that we wanted to be and it was to expand from that. So how, how was that changing mindset for you? How was it approaching a band differently than everything you'd done before? Because I think this for you, uh, I think I'm right in saying, was the first time it felt like it was your band. Yeah. You weren't joining a project. It was your band equally as everybody else rather than coming in as the guitarist. Yeah, I think... I think that changed very fast as well because for me, when I joined, w- with when I had the mindset of joining the Hex, it was to join an already established four-piece. Well, five-piece, but I'm going to make that extra member. So I was just going to be another cog in the wheel. When the other two left, and there's obviously you playing drums, Sean singing, and then there's me playing guitar, my role changed drastically. Into, and there was a lot of pressure but good pressure put on me to kind of come up with riffs and stuff that I'd never really had to do as much so um I think it was it was one of the best things that could have happened really for me because I I do feel more comfortable as the tambourine man at the back do you know what I mean like I feel more comfortable as that but being pushed to the front a bit more really kind of it it, it was like do or die basically yeah and I didn't think I probably, before that, I probably thought I wouldn't enjoy that. But that extra responsibility and pressure really kind of, well, still in the band now, so obviously. (laughs) So without, obviously, Liberty Lies is a massive story, and we could probably do that at a separate time. And there's also, Liberty Lies has got their own podcast, so if anyone's interested in hearing more about that, you can find that. It's actually hosted the same place as this one, it's just the Lies cast. So if you have a listen to those episodes, you can hear more. Um, So have you got any particular, and there's many of them, but... 
what has been some of your highlights from being in Liberty Lies? To summarise it and lump it all into one section. It's difficult, isn't it, man? The, oh, man, Liberty Lies is like being in a relationship with someone who's bipolar because every, I mean, just every week, there's it's just full of highs and lows. Um, I think for me, around the Shinedown tour, obviously the Shinedown tour is something that I'll remember forever, but around that time, we were so ambitious and everyone was on such a same wavelength and as a band we had this kind of it was almost like life and heat us yet because there was me you sean matt and wolfie and anything outside of the band it felt like could be dropped at moments for that for us to do this and i think just uh, I remember uh, there was so many times we'd practice for hours on end and we'd all be doing emails and stuff. And I remember that when we, we almost got the Evanescence tour and we all s- was outside our lockup and it just, uh, it's hard to explain the feeling, but it was like every one of us, it, it was like a gang. Yeah, That's probably the best way to describe it because we was all one million percent in this thing. Well, in the same direction. Yeah, and it, and it's for five people to do that. It's hard, and it, I don't think we've ever got to that stage again, realistically. Um, and yeah, I think just that time period was just such a just a fantastic period of time for us as as people as well. It was like out of the five people, it's it's hard because it's hard not to get clicks within a band and get it so this person can go with this person somewhere and. This person might go with this person somewhere, but say you and Wolfie wouldn't hang out together. But I think at that time you would. I think we yeah. all were just, it was just, it, yeah, it was just brilliant. And we did so, we were so productive. We, we, I think, did we write 30 songs? Yeah, we had like a sheet, didn't we, where we wrote, we were doing our album and we said we, the album wouldn't be done until we filled that sheet and it had to have 30 songs yeah. on that we were all... She's just mad, really. Well, but there was more that never even made it onto. It, it was only until it was a finished song that we were all happy with. It got on the board. Yeah, man. So, Shine Down tour, which obviously so that was twenty twelve. So that was a while ago. Yeah. Well, I think that period of time for me was was like the pinnacle of what we was kind of not musically, um, by any stretch of the imagination, but as like as a unit. Well, we were in university at the time as well. But when I when I think about university. We don't care, did we? Like, we went to university for the band because it gave us more time to do the band. Well, it was university or get a job. Exactly, And if if you get a job, you couldn't guarantee you'd be able to gig. And then you also have the money turns your head. So you start climbing the the ladder at whatever job you're doing, and then you're like, oh, God, what's the point of gigging? So it was about trying to put the band in front of everything. Let's not allow any distractions. And I think very early on with Liberty Lies, there was no... It was make sure like th- there was never any like drink or drugs it was never a problem. It wasn't our thing. It was about being as professional as possible. The one time we turned up to a gig and we got absolutely hammered, and we played the we, we got hammered the night before. Played the gig on the Saturday, and we were like never again. Yeah, never happening again. And then to be fair to us, since then, and that was from the first lineup of Liberty Lies, we never got we've never been on stage drunk. We've never been on stage hungover. You can have a, have drinks after, but it was never before, and yeah. I think we maintained that all the way through. Yeah, man, it it was just it was mad, like you said. We, could, we was all pulling in the same direction, and it meant just I I really think in that time any of us got offered to join a bigger band, we'd have all gone. Ah, sorry, we've got been doing some air, some it's working air. Yeah, and I, and that that feeling is better than anything. Yeah, and I think obviously since the years we get all getting older. Bit uglier, you know what I mean. So life Speak just happens. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm aging brilliantly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but um, obviously we've done a, a lot of tours. We did um the soil tour, which is was really really fun. Us all living in a camper van. Camper van. Um, gosh, God, there's just so many stuff. There's like, all the one-off gigs we did. The Magnum tours were absolutely brilliant. So touring's generally your highlights more than anything else. I think so. I think um, the the writing stage for me now is probably my favourite part because it's um, getting a creativity. Obviously, the last song we got to record down here and stuff, and I think from being able to kind of stretch 
he likes creativity, creativity, creatively. Yeah. Um, has really kind of, he's really, really enjoyable for me now. And now that you've, uh, and as a producer, you've got a song in the top ten of the rock charts, just which must be like. Obviously, I've got it as as the drummer of the band, but it must have a, a different feeling because obviously you've got it as being a member of the band, being the guitarist, but for being the producer as well, that must have a, a separate extra feeling. I think so. But again, I don't know if you have this as well with Liberty Lies. This is just turned to a Liberty Lies podcast, mm-hmm. sorry. But this is quite difficult to explain, but I think of myself when I think of myself as a musician, not as a guitarist, as Josh from Liberty Lies. Yeah. So... Even though, obviously, the producer thing is Josh at Splint Studios producing this song. It don't feel like that. It just feels like Josh from Liberty Lies has done the recording on this. It d- I, I, that's what I struggle with Like when people... Are, like, Miles is more of like a session musician, isn't he, with stuff he does outside the band. Like, he yeah. plays keys on things and stuff. And I find it difficult because I can't... I don't think of myself as a guitar player. As it's after that saying, I, f- I just feel like I'm a, a one p- one part of Liberty Lies. Yeah, so like, I, yeah, I get that because the Ween is Liberty Lies Ween. So if you'd have got, if you'd have produced somebody else and got that same chart position, it it feels great, but it's not the same as when it's your own. No, it's, it's like your own baby kind of thing. And that's why I haven't really pursued it as hard as I, I, I might have done. Um, for for me, the Liberty Lies has always been the main thing. Um. So maybe it's something in the future that I'll try and pursue a bit harder. But for now, it's just Josh from Liberty Lies. Doing cool. This. Let's put a pin in Liberty Lies then because we could talk about that for hours. So let's branch off now. How would you describe your job? <laughs> that's very. De- that's a really good question. Um, Overall, so not... So obviously you're an owner of Splinter Studios, but we we both know. I'm hoping everybody else knows that it, it's more than. Obviously you teach guitar here, but your job isn't a guitar teacher, is it? Solely? No, not solely. I you know what I'd say. Important. That's the main thing for me, and it sounds a bit pretentious, but the reason is, I think, the f- like we facilitate music to be played, and it sounds like. A lot of times, people come in and I'm playing FIFA. I'm not just playing FIFA mm-hmm. a lot of times. Before that, we've got we've obviously all the rooms have uh, got full gearing for someone to come down and play music. And even with our lessons, it's to me, I don't care if someone comes in and they become the ba- Beethoven of guitar. Like, for me, that's not the thing. A lot of these people come in and for that moment in time, it's about inspiring the same spark that, like John Pye did for me yeah. where it's just it's almost just saying like you haven't got to be a guitar player for the rest of your life or check this out you might like this and for for the rest of your life you might be listening to like with John it was the Beatles inspired me but hopefully I can say to a kid like check this out it's Black Sabbath have you ever heard Remedy. this is Rattlesnake <laughs> Remedy but like just being able to inspire that kind of and show them a different way because a lot of these moms and like the moms and dads who bring them don't know who Black Sabbath is or Greta Van Fleet or anything like that. Or they know a certain genre or they're into, they might look Michael Jackson. Yeah. And you go, and the kids come in and I'm like, I'm sick of Michael Jackson. It's the only thing I've ever heard, but they don't know where else to look to find. And I think that's sometimes where it's our job to go, here's something you might like. Because it's our job to kind of know all a little bit of all these different genres. I can't profess to be an expert on the top 20 or I know a lot about jazz. But if all you've got is just rock music, we can open you up to some other ideas. Well, I think of us as like, uh, again, this is a bit pretentious, but like gatekeepers almost. Because mm. it's not just showing someone every time they walk in, check out Black Sabbath. It's going, what do you like? Oh, you like Michael Jackson? Well, you know, the guitarist who did that, he also did this. So you might like this. And it's like and being able to say to him, them come with their preconceived ideas of something, and not you just kind of bashing around the head with the bands that we like, but being able to tailor it for them, saying, well, if you like this, you might also like this. Yeah. And it's almost, I suppose, if you go on Spotify, that's it's like that, but with someone 
thinking about your needs and then being able to introduce something that you think will kind of enrich. And a lot of times you do it and then I've had kids go, that's pants. Yeah. That's crap, that is. And I go, oh, okay, let's, let's try something They've tried else. it, they've listened to it. Yeah, and just even having that kind of, I mean, you must get it with drums all the time because the top yeah. 20 with drums. It's dreadful, yeah. So you having to go, oh, well, this is easy, you can play this. So how yeah, do yeah. we get them to play something a bit more difficult that they might not necessarily be into? Yeah. So how would you describe your teaching style? Um, laid back. I don't do the grades. Um, that's one thing that I'm quite adamant about. Um, it basically, I, I think for me, I, I want the the best for the kids when they come in, and I, d- I it's like we're doing a a jam night next week, and it's kind of like a student showcase for the kids. Um, and for me, it's all about just kind of the enjoyment of music. And I've got some kids who are really good, really, really good. Um, and it's fun, it's great to see that them going home and practicing. But also the ones that don't practice, they come every week, and uh, hopefully, well, they come every week, so they in, they enjoy the time in that room where all we do is go look at music. How does this work? Why does this work? Yeah. And I think that's, and I think as well, trying. Uh, but I've realised because it's been five years since we've been teaching here. More than that. More eight. Than that. Wow. Okay, eight years. What I've started to realise the last few years is it shouldn't be a solo instrument. I think what we do here is try and make it a social instrument and we say, you know this on guitar, well, you know this on guitar, you know this on drums, let's get you in a room and play. Yeah. And even they might not ever do anything with music, that enjoyment of playing with people is just, unless you've done it, I don't think you can explain it. I think sometimes as well the pressure can bring the best out here and I think... It's something that we would have both been guilty as as teenagers that it's very easy to sit in your bedroom and go, I can play three songs now, so look at me go. Yeah. But then when you've got to be able to play that in front of an audience, you're like, I better practice. And I think sometimes you can get that. And you, I think music's really strange because you, you get a bug. And we I talk about that to my students all the time. And the parents always come up and say, how's he getting on? Well, he's never practicing. And you're like, well, it'll come. And the fact that he's still here, he can play, he or she, can play the parts, it will come. You can't force people. As soon as you start going, you've got to do an hour every day. That's when they'll, they'll come to you in six weeks' time and go, I hate guitar, because they're being forced to. And it's it's the reason why they're playing their Xboxes or their tiktok or whatever and, it is. And that's the reason why I think people, teachers use grades. Uh, and I think it's you hook them and you hook their mums and dads, because then they can go... Well, he's just done grade four, so we'll keep him for another year so he can do grade five, and they get to grade five. Oh, they've done grade five. And it's an easy end goal to sell to the parents and go, you keep your your child with me for ten years, they'll be a grade eight. And then at the end of grade eight, they can be a professional drummer. Whereas we both know that it doesn't work like that. And all the best, you know, there's hundreds of musicians that come down here. I would say all of the best ones are ungraded. Yeah, 100%. And all the best musicians you know, all... Best drummers, John Bonham, all of the best drummers aren't a grade eight rock school drummer. And I think what you've just said about the practicing hours a day, unless you want to do that, why force the ki- these kids to do it? Because we've had parents down here who um, have come in and said, um, he's, he's eight years old and he's done really well, but he's not practicing. He's playing his Xbox all the time. I'm like, He's eight years old. He's eight years old, and he can play. So each child of mine, like, just just be happy. It's it's this constant thing of moving forward. And I think, yeah. even though I think we we'd be booked up more if we was to do the grades and stuff like that. I don't think either of us, knowing what we know as professional musicians. It's, it's a bit unethical, I think, with a lot of the stuff. and I think It becomes a business, doesn't it? And I think that's why... I think it's important for us to stress when we say it, it's not because of any kind of business reason. It's because we think it's better for the student. And we would always advise... And the thing is, as well, we've prided ourselves on... If someone comes and says, this is what I want as a lesson for my child, if we don't think we can offer it, we won't just go, oh, well, I'll just take the money. Yeah. We will always try and say, like I've said before, I'm not a, dra- a jazz drummer. 
I'd really struggle. And I would attempt it. If you want a taste of jazz, I can do it. If you want to learn to become the next Buddy Rich or whatever, I'm not the guy. I can recommend you the guy, but it's not me. And I think there's a lot of other people that would just go, yeah, come to me. I'll learn jazz on the job and then I'll teach you. I'd just rather not do it. And I think that's similarly with doing the grade system for you. It's just about, it's not about ticking a box. And if, if someone's adamant that that, they want it, then at least you're straight up going, look, there's other teachers that will do that, and I'm not the best teacher for you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it, the, the funny thing is, I actually did my grades. Um, I never did them when I was learning, but before we started, I was like, oh, man, I need to do my grades, because people are going to come in and be like, so what grade are you? How do you teach? So I rushed and did my grade eight straight away, went and did it, and I just was like, Whoa. I thought... People had ask not once have I had someone come and ask what grade are you? Yeah, we've, same. We've never put them like we never had to put it on the wall saying we're in this grade. Well, or we've both that. got certificates, haven't we? Yeah, and it and just, just never, it's never once. And it's I feel the same way about university as well. Just personally, no one ever asked me, oh, what's your degree? What What's the degree you've got? The fact I've got one, same as the grades, and I can say if someone wants to know, and I've I've done the grades to be able to. If you ask about them, it's an informed decision. Whereas I think if you if we'd have just blindly never done them, how can you yeah, pass off yeah. your opinion then and just so be like because we we've both spent money having lessons, doing the grade system to be able to go actually it didn't work for me yeah and that's not to say it doesn't work for other people because it, obviously it's a massively successful business but I think that's the key thing business, isn't it? It's, yeah, it is a business yeah. and whilst we are a business, how many friends have you got from teaching how many of the you because you teach quite a few adults who've become good friends with some of the kids. I don't know, you can't necessarily describe them as mates, but you get to know them and you, they tell you how their day has been and it's it's a good part of their week to come yeah, and, and interact. And 100%. And it's I think, as well, our teaching style isn't going to be for everyone. Yeah. And I think that's that's okay. We we, cater, we kind of are just try and be ourselves and when we click with the right people... It just it w- seems to work really well, and that's why we have people stop with us for well going on five years. Some of them now, so yeah, yeah. cool. Um, I wrote this question a while ago, so I've got to reword it. You know, ne- I I apologise for this. You're now thirty years old. Oh man, sorry, I am sorry. <laughs> Has turning thirty changed your thinking, either about music or about the music industry or your career? As is crossing that threshold change your opinion? Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, it shouldn't be because it probably shouldn't have waited until I was thirty. But the big three uh, O kind of fell on me like a ton of bricks. I think. And yeah, I think when I was saying before about when uh, we were a bit younger and everyone was pulling the right direction with a band and things like that, yeah. you do look around now and you're thirty years old and you think, okay. In the next 10 years, there's a lot of things that needs to happen it, it, for my for my life, outside of music, outside of business, um, that I want to happen. But then, on the other hand, the, the band hasn't kind of reached the, got the height that I thought it was going to by this time. And I'm not sure kind of what... what like, I'm, I'm, I enjoy being a teacher, but for me... Being a teacher was the stopgap for Liberty Lies becoming big and me becoming a massive rock star. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think I'm just trying to get my head round at the moment because even though I preach about the thing of that r- everyone's relentless drive, that everything's got to be bigger and better all the time, I think within me there's definitely that where if I'm not moving forward, it doesn't mean I'm moving backwards. But to me, sometimes it feels that's that kind of just just enjoying that moment is difficult. So I can't help but look about and 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 look at kind of like what's next. Like we've we've done um, the teaching thing, me and you, and we've made it a really good success. Yeah. And then it's like looking at well, what's next? Is is it? Do I go and do my PhD? So that was the thing that I was looking at um, a few years ago when I finished my masters. Um. Or do we start doing stuff like the studio? We was on about doing a hire and sell thing um, with gear. So it is difficult to kind of just 
be content and just chill. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I think we, what you're saying really, rather than your career being a one step forward, three steps back, it's uh, sometimes you're at that one step, but it feels like the next step's getting further away. And being 30 is pushing, it's stretching those steps. So it's a bigger leap to get to, rather than no one's going, you're going back three steps. Although people around us will try and make <laughs> that happen, especially this week, they're determined to push us back. Uh, it just feels like that little bit, because obviously the steps with Liberty Lies and with original music becomes time, I think. Yeah. And time's relevant because everybody's age and circumstances are different. But just trying to get to where you want to be. But then again, success is relative because there's so many different successes and there's things like, like we were on about the single earlier, like yesterday getting to six in the chart means nothing to a lot of people. But then to other people, it means massive success yeah. and it means the world. So it is relative to what you want, what you want to achieve and then also the time of your life when you're doing it. Yeah, man, 100%. I think it, it is difficult, isn't it? Because if you just said when we started this business that we'd have the students that we've got, we'd have the be able to do the jam nights that we have the bands in that we do i'd have ripped someone's arm off for it like that is just like what i had in my head but then when you get there you're kind of like okay what's next and i, I can't help like i want to try and slow my brain down but sometimes it is difficult because you go we've got this then let's do this instead now yeah. you know what i mean i just want to enjoy it a bit i think yeah cool uh so what advice would you give to a 13 year old josh starting out music so you've just turned up for a a lesson, first lesson at Splinter, and it's you, it's mini you. How do you advise, knowing what you've done, what advice do you tell yourself? So that's a really good question. My initial answer would just be to chill a bit, because as a kid, when I, when I started guitar, I just took it to the extreme. So I w- there was one point when I was practicing nine hours a day, so then my little sheet that I'd say wake up early before school and do a couple of hours, come back from school, go upstairs, do a bit before tea, come down for tea, play until I get to sleep, wake up, repeat. And um, although it's kind of done me good stead for now, I I do think stuff like I probably should have gone to my end of year's party rather than go and play guitar because I had to play guitar. Do you know what I mean? Like Things like that, I look back and go, I probably could have let myself have that day off and go and do this instead. But on the whole, it's... I don't know, 13 years old, gosh. I don't even... Because you've got 13-year-old students now mm-hmm. that some of them might want to go on the same trajectory as you and they might look at your career as a success and if they could emulate it, that's exactly what they want. But obviously, you you want more. So how do you? what do you tell yourself to get to prepare you for, for the industry that's coming? I think it's just to make sure that them enjoying the time that them putting in with it as well. So... The, the, one of the th- things, the realisations that happened to me was, you know, when you're climbing the kind of the mountain of being able to play stuff, so, like, you look at someone like um, Dave Mustaine or something like that, or even stuff like, um, what was the one of the solos? There's a 13-year-old kid at, who I'm teaching at the moment, and he, he's trying to play the Tornado of Soul solo, which is notoriously difficult. The Megadeth. Megadeth, yeah. Yeah. And the kid's killing it. He's 13 years old. You look at him and you go, bloody heck, this guy's going to be amazing. And I just hope that he's enjoying every moment he's he's practising. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not it's not a thing where it's like, I've got to get this done. And I'm, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. a hardship. And I think for me, that looking back, that nine hours a day was probably a bit excessive and I could probably could have chilled out a lot more and worry about this person's really good. So, I've, and again, that competitive nature that... What I've learned is that music's not it's not a competitive sport. You've got to in, learn to enjoy other people's kind of ability. Like I love listening to Guthrie Govan. I don't necessarily want to put the errors in to become him. Yeah. But I enjoy listening to him. And you can appreciate the errors that's got into doing yeah, it, especially you doing like him like you're saying, doing nine hours. He must have done that for years oh in order gosh, to get yeah. to and but he must have forsaken a lot of life experiences and, and things it. to have got where he's now. And he might be, and it that depends where what you want to put in and what you get out of it. He's not huge. He's he's not a massive. Obviously, he's very successful. And mm-hmm. he's, but he was Rihanna's guitarist of all people. He's not doing 
other stuff. He obviously that's commercially successful, but it's not for his guitar playing skills. The reason he's playing for Rihanna, and and that's the thing. If he's enjoyed every moment of it, then it's well worth it. But if he's slogged and it's been like another day, another nine hours, do you know what I mean? It's not. I don't think it's worth it in that sense. Yeah. And I think you can be, you can enjoy music. You can be a good guitarist without having to kind of sacrifice your whole life to to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right, so, in double your time again, you'll be 60 years old. God. What would you like to have, where would you like to be in 60 years? Would you, not 60 years, that would be very old. Sixty In 60 years' time, <laughs> I'd still be alive, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Uh, so in another 30 years' time, do you still want to be involved in music? Or do you think, is there a, an expiration date for you? Is there, I want to do it until I get to this age, and then I want to move... Something yeah, else. what I have no idea. I think that's the that's another thing. It's it's um, you can never tell because I I'm surprised that I've been able to do music for so long. And now, really, I, I feel very lucky to have done this. Um, but I think music's always going to be part of my life. If I'm not a teacher, um, or if I'm doing something else completely different. I think I'll always have music on in the background or I'll be... I can't imagine me ever not playing guitar. Do you know what I mean? Like, even if it's, yeah. like, <coughs> a pub band or something like that, I think it, it will always be part of my life, but maybe not necessarily always be the focus yeah. of my life. Allow it to be for more fun than always financial or not necessarily financial, but in order to keep growing. Yeah. Okay. A couple of fun little questions then before we finish. Um... Musical bucket list, what's on yours short-term to long-term? So let's say in the next 10 years, is there any particular gig, any band you'd like to play with, any thing that you'd like to achieve within music in the next 10 years? Um, Bloodstock, been playing that in a couple of weeks. I think that's definitely a bucket list thing for me. Yeah. Um, I it, it all depends. For If I think about it with my Liberty Lies head on, geared towards that so like playing download making a new album recording the album down here maybe um touring with with anyone really i think with my liberty lies head that's that's how i'd think i think with my head on separate from the band not really there's not a i think there's bands who i want to see more than anything i think i need to see the eagles before someone else pops the clogs because that would just gut me if i never get to see them um and there's festivals I want to go to and things like that, but nothing. What about place to play, though? Is there anywhere that you haven't yet played that you'd like to? Is there a particular oh venue gosh. or city, country? Um, if you could book a gig right now... I'd be America, wouldn't he? And you could sell out any venue. You're granted one wish. Genie pops up and says... Pops up in a bottle of sparkling water. And <laughs> says, or a can of kombucha. And says, Josh, you've got... One wish, I will sell out any city, I state, think, country. I think it has to be download for me because I've been there quite a few times. So now, for me, just imagine us. I mean, the thing is, I think I don't know if when you get older you just dream smaller and smaller. <laughs> but for me, opening the main stage of download would just be insane. So rather than Madison Square Garden uh, yeah. or the Sahara Desert, like Bon Jovi said, <laughs> you, you, you'd take just playing an hour down the road in the festival. I think the thing is though. I haven't got an emotional connection with Madison Square Garden, as amazing as it would be. Yeah. But when I think of Download and standing there and watching like Guns N' Roses or someone playing, yeah. You just think, imagine like I just think us on that stage. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that's it for me. Okay, so keeping on that theme, then I asked this question to Lee. Can't remember how many bands I said. But let's go up five, five bands, Dream Festival lineup. Uh. Dead or Alive, or... Yeah, let's go Dead or... I think Lee, Lee said Metallica was one, Slipknot was one, Thin Lizzy, The Doors, and somebody else. I can't remember the other one. Strange gig, isn't it? Uh? But it's his gig. Yeah, well, your, your dream festival lineup then. So let's take Liberty Lies out of you, because we all know that we'll be opening the fourth stage. <laughs> <laughs> Half past 11 <laughs> in the morning. So who's headlining? Who's Let's go top. Who's top? It doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest band. But who is top of your bill 
for this festival? Josh Fest. Josh Fest. Man, that's so difficult. Um, if it was literally just me in the audience, then Fair to Midland every day of the week is the top. Yeah. Um, I think below them, controversial, probably be brand new. <laughs> that's very controversial. I never. Let's not go into that. You can Google brand new if you. I never got to see that last album, but um, Guns and Roses underneath them. Yeah, might be a bit upset about that, but yeah, be alright. Um, I'm trying to think of a band who have oh, the Eagles below them. Well, okay. Eagles can be the second second act. Opening. There's no opening. Rattlesnake Remedy, we'll get them back. Yeah, get the reunion. So we got Rattlesnake Remedy, the Eagles, Eagles, <laughs> Guns and Roses, <laughs> brand new, and then the smallest band, Fair to Midland. Yeah. I don't know, it, Rattlesnake Remedy. Oh yeah, yeah, true. Fair to Midland ain't much bigger. They were bookending. Yeah, for anyone that doesn't know, Fair to Midland are uh, a Texas-based. What are they? Alternative metal rock. Strange band. They're rock. really bizarre. But Some yodeling. There's a post up at the studio. If anyone's clocked it, right by the front door. Cool. All right. I'll take that. I'd, I'd get that gig to be fair. Be intri- if nothing else, just to see the look on Axel's face when he realises, hang on, <laughs> who's this after me? <laughs> okay, last question then. Not music related at all. Philosophical question. So I think I might have asked you this before, but under a different context. So I've got an imaginary bag here. And inside this bag, there's a hundred balls. There's... I should have thought this through more before I said it. So there's 100 balls. Each ball is worth £100,000. Okay? Okay. 100 balls, £100,000. the maths, if that's what Okay, that's fine. There's one ball in there that the moment you pick that ball will end your life. Took a turn for the worse then, didn't it? So, so effectively, there's 99 balls that win you £100,000. There's one ball that will end it all right away. How many balls do you take? Should I use something rather than balls? Because means you've gone, balls. Is <laughs> <laughs> it really weird. Um, so how many do you take? It's a strange question, I know. But I just it thought. is a very strange question. You know what? Obviously not having... I would sit and think about these for days before I did it. But do a little drawing in your book. You know what? Exactly, that's what I'd do. But you know what? I don't think I'd take any. No, wouldn't risk losing it. The thing is, I think about £100,000, even a million pounds, I don't, I mean, people will see the car that I drive, I don't really care about money, so I don't know what I'd do with it anyway, like, I've, the guitar I've got is the guitar that I'd have if I had a million pounds, people can see my dress sense, are they very, very lavish on that, so for me, it wouldn't be worth doing, I don't think, really, if it's... Would it change, would the... Answer change if it was a million pound a ball because that was when I heard this question it was a million pound, but see to me, if you if you've grown up and lived in Wensbury, two million pound, three million pound, it starts to get ridiculous. So you're just yeah. like, well, you could take ten balls and, and ten million pounds. Yeah, like. I think I think it would change if it was more like pick a ball and Liberty Lies become the biggest band on the planet. Then I'm starting to think, oh, okay, now that's an interesting proposition. If one of them balls was Liberty Lies to headline download, I would be like, it might be worth taking the risk. <laughs> but for, a mi- I mean, I'd, what would I do with a million pound? I just, I, I've got nothing that I want. So for a hundred thousand pound per ball, you wouldn't take one? No. Fair. Fair. I think I might roll that question out every I mean, podcast. That's a good que- and we'll just fair, say, that's a really good question. It's it? not relevant to any, but I did think we, the yeah. idea is we're not going to just have Where a music. Where that from? Uh, I don't know. I think I'd, I think I just... I listen to many podcasts, but I know that I think that was just a random Q and A thing, and someone says, "What would you take?" So I thought that it is interesting because I've I've thought about it a lot, and it's hard because you could think selfishly, or you think I could reward all my family, and I'll take I'll take the risk for the sake of them getting something better. I think you've got a nipper as well now. Well, that is so different, but then that's why I, I I think if the question was a million pound. You could just take one and be set up for life. Yeah, could you imagine that if that first the ball. look that we've had in the <laughs> band as well? You could put you could put your hand there for ten minutes and you would still pick out. I'm dead. Yeah, and it could be the smallest ball out of the lot of them, and you'd still reach out. And that. if it was Liberty Lawyers doing it, I'd hundred percent. I wouldn't do it because our look hundred percent would be. Yeah, 
that ball. It depends on which given day. Liberty lights, because you could some days you could pick out ninety nine balls and you'd That's get true. the hundred thousand pound each time, and then the other day the very first ball you pick would be would be the yep. killer. Hundred percent, yeah. Cool. I enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks a lot for that. That's, uh, it was interesting. interesting, and we've managed. You can all thank me later. We've managed to keep it under an hour. Well, so we am late for practice, though, so we better oh go. Yeah, we're going to get in trouble, but yeah, um, yeah. Thank you for joining. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you to everybody for listening. Um, if you enjoyed it, please leave us a uh, a review, and you can like it, subscribe, YouTube, Amazon, Spotify, all the usual places. Yeah, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.